Welcome to the Ohio Ministry Network podcast. The following audio was recorded at the 2014 Synergy Conference held in Gahanna, Ohio at Pathway Church. For more information, please visit our website, ohioministry.net. It is fun to serve on a team, and uh, we've got a great team here in Ohio. We are standing on the shoulders of men and women uh, who have labored long and hard to make Ohio what it is, and we thank them. We are partnering right now with some great leaders that get us so excited about where we're moving in the future, and the most exciting thing is the local leaders, that our churches and our campus ministries and uh, so many uh, reflections of Christ's love are just uh, spilling over with outstanding leaders. And uh, it, we're so excited about the future. We want to do, uh, we, we believe a year from now, you're going to be talking about leadership in Ohio in a way that we never have before. We're so excited about ramping that part of it up. If anybody has been part of the Sons of God for any length of time, uh, then you know 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago, although we were doing some great things and what we did then has helped this fellowship move forward, what we didn't have was an answer for existing churches. What does the Ohio District, the Ohio Ministry Network do for existing churches? And we would have a lot of good answers. But uh, finally, we have in the person of John Musgrave and church development, we have a a cohesive answer uh, that there's help for existing churches in every phase, whether they're looking for a pastor, that transition time, whether the pastor's there and they need some church life resources to assess the church. There is a uniform, thought-through process of what we can help uh, our local churches do now uh, that we didn't have years ago. Well, we, we have the same gap right now in leader development. We have a million different things going on to develop leaders. Synergy is a great reflection of that. Every department, youth, uh, Royal Rangers, uh, you know, uh, men's, women's, we're all doing things to help leaders. Uh, Every presbyter, every network official is trying to help leaders and develop them, but everybody's doing their own thing. And we really feel like leader development can take a a major step forward if we were to get it organized and and put resources into that. And that's going to affect all of you in this room. And so we're hoping that uh, whether or not you are a credentialed minister or a lay leader, that you're going to feel even more evidence than you already do, that Ohio is aware of who you are, that you have needs, that you need trained, that you need care for it when you're hurting that you need, we need to replace you at the right time, so we need to be recruiting young leaders. Uh, we, we want to give even greater evidence to that, and we're pretty excited about where the Lord's going to lead us. A year from now at Synergy, I think we'll be talking a lot more about that than even what we are today. In this final session, I'm excited to uh, share with you a very interesting and unforgettable story. But to set it up, I want to talk about the long goodbye. The long goodbye, because I'm looking at a room full of people Uh, that come from some great churches. And there are some church plants that are represented here today. And what I'm about to say may sound a little bit foreign, or at least the most foreign to you. Because uh, what I'm talking about with a long goodbye is typically not a problem that most new churches have to deal with. Or if you are a new believer in Christ, or you have just come into your local church or the Assemblies of God, a little bit of what I'm going to say today may sound like that doesn't that's not on your radar, and that's okay. Uh, my, my words today are to encourage uh, many of you who represent churches that have been around for quite a while. I came from a church, Byesville Assembly of God, that's been around for quite a while. I'm the product of a church like that, and many of us are in this room. We're so thankful for what church meant to us 
20 years ago and 30 years ago and 40 years ago. And uh, there's so much to value about that. The church of the last 50 years has been our friend. And it's been a good friend. Why would I say something like that? Well, to many of us, it's obvious. That church, or what we've known about church, has taught us the Word of God. Because that church was there, because of the pastor, because of the, the teachers, we learned the Word of God. What kind of price tag can you put on that? That's incredible. We made lifelong friends, many of us, at these churches. And they're still around encouraging us today. That's eternal. That's incredible. That, that is bib- biblical and godly. We met with God through prayer, through worship services at this friend of ours called the Church of the Last 50 Years. And it's very, very deep to us. It, it means a lot. It means a lot more to us than some, some things that other people place value on, that's for sure. At our churches, we have prayed with loved ones, and they've seen a breakthrough. How can you put into words your gratitude for what a church means to you when that happens in your family's life? Through our, our friend, we've met many missionaries, and we have, we have partnered with them. And not just us giving to them, but missionaries giving to us, helping us have the, the mind and the heart of Christ that we never could if it were not for their stories and for their passions. Through our friend, we have conducted outreaches. Many of us remember those years gone by, and vacation Bible schools, and Christmas programs that saw hundreds, if not thousands, come through the doors. And we did it every year, and it was a lot of fun, and a lot of lives were changed. We raised money all over those years. A lot of worthwhile needs and projects were met that would never have been addressed were it not for the efforts of those great people, our good friends in the church that we knew. Through the church that was our friend, countless young boys and girls were mentored and have become Christ-centered adults because of the ministries of this good friend, our church. And, and, and we're not alone there. There's so many other things. The, the list is endless. We clap to some really cool songs. Now, our kids don't like them, but they're dear to us. And whenever we hear that guitar or that piano strike up, we, we already know the words. We just heard the first three, three uh, notes, and we know what the rest of the song is because God did something. We remember that time and place when we heard that song, and we like it. We had our favorite pew, our favorite row of chairs. That's where our family sits. That's where the youth group's at, right? We, we, we know where we like to sit. We maybe built the sound room ourselves. Maybe we built the Royal Rangers supply room ourselves. We invested. We were part of that group that decorated the nursery and got it just the way it needed to be. We sang in the choir every year. We held positions or we were members in groups that we really liked. We constructed the softball field. We had that Easter pageant. We served on the same committee for years. But for many of our churches like that, there is a process that's been going on that I'm calling the long goodbye. Some of us have heard whispers of it. Some of us have been confronted right in our face with it. And some of us are just trying to pretend that it's not happening. And maybe we ignore it. We don't really have to say goodbye. But we do. We do. And there's a good reason why. And perhaps, perhaps, Folks who've tried maybe to say this very same message, maybe, maybe they haven't been as tender as sometimes we would like them to be about the precious things that happened in this church that many of us have grown to love. 
maybe because some of them never even experienced it. And so how dare they come in and, and, and come off the streets and start this ministry and then, and then cast shame on what, what even got the church to where it is. Sometimes we couldn't even hear the message because they didn't take time to properly appreciate what was already there. There could be a, a long list of reasons why, but I do feel pretty confident about this. And maybe this isn't where you are, but maybe it's where some people back at your church are at. Or maybe it's where some of your family members are at. This probably is going to be one of the nicest and maybe one of the last opportunities we'll have to hear this message before it's too late. Because I do appreciate the church. I'm here because of the church. And like, like so many around the world, I, I've got to change. I've got to get on board with where this thing are, is headed. And, and it causes me pain because there's things about what I knew and liked that I, I really value. And I don't want to say goodbye. And I don't like it when people just dismiss it because they've never tried it. How do they know it's not going to work? But I think, as we all know, there is a key difference between the things that are never going to change and should never change about church and then some of the things that are, when everything gets boiled down, more accurately described as human preference. The Assemblies of God, thank God, is always going to be about worship. We're always going to be about evangelism and reaching the lost. We're always going to be about discipleship, helping people grow. We're always going to be about showing the love of Christ with compassion. That's, that's what we're about. And those things are not changing. And those things are, are sacred. I was recently at a, one of our new church plants. And in case you haven't heard, in Ohio in 2013, we planted 14 new churches. It's been a long time since we planted 14 churches in one year. Oh, I, but I think I just set you up. I don't mean to do that because you're not going to clap now. And we closed nine. All right. <laughs> he said, we closed nine churches. <laughs> Where's the applause? Oh, that's painful. So thank God we opened 14 churches. So the net effect is that we've opened five new churches. We, we left last year with five more churches than what we had the year before, but we closed nine. We closed nine. And so here's where my passion is. Sometimes, sometimes we need to have a good celebration of life service. That's the kind way to say funeral now, isn't it, right? We need to have a good celebration of life service for some of these churches that are about to close. And nine of them closed last year. My heartbeat today is that we wouldn't have any more close. Please, please hear me. But it's the churches that are refusing to say goodbye, the churches that don't want to hear that, that things have got to move on, by and large, that are the churches whose doors end up closing eventually. And so it's to prevent that that is the heartbeat that drives this message today. You know, and it's okay when the time comes. Your, your 98-year-old grandma does not want you to keep her alive for another 10, 20, 30 years she had a good life. You're here today. You're serving the Lord because of what she did. And it's okay to say, you did an awesome job. 
and we will forever be thankful for what you did. And now we're going to say, because God has ordained it, it's okay to say, and we're done. And now we're going to celebrate for eternity what was done during that time. But in this vessel, the expression of life has come to an end. And that, that happens from time to time, and we need to be okay with that. And, and sometimes instead of, you know, getting all upset, we should just say, man, thank God. And sometimes that life in the life of a church is 10 years or 20 years or 50 years or whatever, and sometimes it is the right thing to do. But if it can be prevented, let's do that, and that way we keep churches open and as well as open some brand new ones. That's, that's, the, that's the ticket right there. And so how do churches that are plateaued? How are churches that feel like they're, they're on their way to declining to the point of death and there's no one left and no life there? How do they avoid that? And, and that's by saying goodbye, but learning that goodbye to some things that are just preferences is really an opportunity to say a forever hello. Saying goodbye to things like spending the money the way we always used to do. Saying goodbye to songs that we... We really liked when we were 15 and we were 20. But that's just not what they're singing today. Stepping down from committees that no longer exist. (laughs) Well, I'm the president of the committee. And I'm not done. I'm going to start stepping on some toes. Redesigning the entire sanctuary. I know, I know, I went there, sorry. Because the choir is no longer performing the same type of ministry and having the life that they used to have, maybe saying it's time to take a break and being okay with that. And all of our ministries, if I haven't stepped on your toes yet, fill in the blank and put your ministry there. All right, so we're all on level playing field here. Saying a long goodbye to things that are not eternal, but simply are expressions of traditions that we've become used to. And the, and the problem is, is that when we go back over this list of things I appreciate about my church, it's hard for me sometimes in my flesh to differentiate between the preaching of the word and the teaching of the word, which should never change. It should always be relevant and powerful and anointing, but then also confusing that with the layout of my Sunday school room and the flannel board, right? Some of you have no idea what I just said. I know. But those are two different things. One is altogether eternal, and the other is altogether temporary. And it's meant to be temporary. And we should celebrate that it's temporary, as opposed to holding on to the method or the mechanism and putting the same value on that as we do on something that's eternal, like the love of God. No one ever started out intending to do that, but it's just what happens when we're not careful and and we don't understand. And, and here's, here's the truth. I mean, get ready for a shocker. Do you realize it's altogether possible that your kids one day will tell jokes about the churches that used to drink coffee all the time? <laughs> Mom and dad, they used to have like coffee bars in the lobby. <laughs> and they had flavored coffee and duke, duke, duke. And that's what they called church. And like, oh, that's so funny. Oh. Right? So it's all changing. 
It'll always change. Those things are meant to change, and we've got to be ready to do that and say it's okay because if we don't, then everything's going to pass us by, and we're going to be left wondering, where did everybody go? And it is hard. It is hard. I was at a church recently where it was just senior citizens left, and, and they, to, by their own confession, by, by the point, time they got to that, they were ready to say, yeah, you know, 20 years ago, we, we saw this come. We should have made changes then, but we just didn't. And you know what? You know what the trigger? I'll never forget this. The trigger for them was they had tall ceilings, and there was no longer anybody young enough in the congregation to change the light bulbs in the ceilings. <laughs> and it was too late by that point. Too late. So before that happens to us, can we learn to take our fingers off that wheel that we have grabbed so tightly when they really shouldn't have been so tightly on that wheel to begin with? And I've talked about some, some temporary things and some, some lighthearted things like coffee, but as you know, in this changing world that we're in, it's, it's so confusing. That's why, that's why it's so tempting to want to go back. The, the tattoos these people are wearing in our church today, the, the, the music they're listening to, uh, it, the things that they want to say. And then, of course, we see, even in the church world, things that you and I would say, no, that is not Christian. That's just not preference that is, that is sin. That, is, that does not belong among the people of God. And we see many churches going there in various conversations and even actions. And we say, we don't want that to happen to our church, and I don't either. So how do you again distinguish between what's eternal and what is just a sign of the times? Because it's only going to get trickier. But let me encourage you. My entire life, my entire life, it has been legal to commit adultery. It's been legal to drink alcohol. It's been legal to gamble. On and on and on. There's a lot of things that in my lifetime, it's been legal to do all those things. And years earlier in our country, it was illegal to do all those things. So laws were changed before I got on the scene, many of you as well, that used to make all those activities illegal. And so I'm sure at some point, my ancestors, when those things were legalized, thought, oh boy, there goes the whole society, right? And they would have the same kind of concerns you and I have today about our kids. You'll, you have said what I have said. We, don't want to, we're, we are scared about the, the country, about the world that we're turning over to our kids, right? All these things that have, the society has somewhat protected or given us the assumption of protection because it's illegal, and now they're making it legal. But I want to encourage you. Look at me and look at so many in this room. Just because something was legal didn't mean that we had to get caught up in it. Because we had a great family. Because we had a church that was preaching the word. That was doing what they could do. And so whatever a country or any society legalizes or doesn't legalize should have no bearing on the spiritual health and vitality. Not only of the church but of the community the church has been called to reach. That's how it works. God sets the rules. Not the country. So, so yes, be a concerned citizen, but please don't jump on the bandwagon when this becomes legal and this becomes legal and this becomes legal. God has not closed his doors. The Holy Spirit has, has not said, I give up. I'm not, God is still active and he's going to be even, uh, we're going to see his activity even more so in the coming days as we get closer to his return. So don't get needlessly discouraged. Have your eyes open. 
Be upset about things, but don't lose your faith and don't lose your hope. And as a leader, certainly don't mislead people to think that all hope is lost because it's not. That's why I'd like to invite Sarah up on the stage today to give you a real-life Ohio example of a church and a family that was willing to say goodbye to some things that, that maybe 20 years ago and 30 years, they never thought it was coming. Sarah, how are you doing today? Thanks for coming. I'm doing fantastic. Had a great drive over. It's sunny outside. No complaints. It's a beautiful day. What would you have for lunch? I went to Panera and had a panini. Panini. Oh, all right. I'm going to guess quite a few people here had turkey or ham. I don't know. I just, I'm just guessing. Well, listen, we've had a great day, and thank you for coming here today. You brought your sister with you, I understand. Lisa? Right. Lisa's from Dayton. And uh, Sarah's pastor is Brent Heisman. Many of you know Brent. He's a presbyter and a pastor, and his wife, Lisa. So there's all kinds of people who could vouch for Sarah's story today, is what I'm trying to tell you. And she even has a family member here today that you can talk to if you'd like afterwards. But uh, you have a story, Sarah, that many people could identify some parts of it uh, because you, you grew up in Assemblies of God churches here in Ohio. Where at? In North Bloomfield, Ohio. I went to church. It's a tiny, tiny town. doesn't even have uh, 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 a blinking stoplight. Yeah, right. So there's, like, there's nothing there. 1,100 people. Really small. And even before that, you were where? Um, no, I, I was in Newcomerstown when I was about three, and then we moved north. So you, you mentioned some ministries that I remember and that my wife remembers. Uh, did I hear Bible quiz, missionettes? Is that right? Yep. I loved Bible quiz. I'm very competitive. So it didn't... You are? All right. Well, we'll have to talk about Bible quiz. All right. Oh, you win. I've heard about you. <laughs> I, had, I think I had one tiny little medal once, but I loved it. And it was a really good way for me to learn Scripture without a lot of pressure and thought about um, it's tedious. You know, I wanted to win. I wanted to earn as many points. It's like, give me those green cards. I want the most points I can get. And then missionettes. Did you get any badges in missionettes? I don't. I think I may have gotten one. I was a daisy. daisy. Any daisies out there? Any former daisies? I think there's a program, uh, a former program called STARS, right? S-T-A-R, and they all stand for Susanna. Come on, everybody. And Ruth, all right. And so don't, I'm sure I can trust you guys not to tell my wife, um, but her little joke is that she's a stuh. I think she got S and T, but couldn't finish the A and the R. Not sure. But that's just between you and me. (laughs) I love that. Awesome. So Bible quiz, missionettes, North Bloomfield Assembly of God. And today... Uh, you are thinking about following the call of God in your life to do pretty, something pretty extraordinary. What, what's God stirring in your heart? He's called me to missions. He's given me a country, so in his timing, I'm going to be in Panama. Awesome. Awesome. Going to Panama. Isn't that great? In fact, she's already connected with uh, our missionaries there, and that's a great thing about our world missionaries and our U.S. missionaries. They are our partners you know, some of you saw firsthand Chi Alpha. Uh, they are our partners. They are college experts right here in Ohio that can help you get your kids prepared for what they're going to face. And we've got partners like that all over the world, and they've already connected with Sarah, which is cool. 
Uh, but Sarah, there's, there's the beginning of your story, and there's the current day, and then there's the in-between. Maybe let's move up a little bit in front of the speaker here, get some of the sound out. Um, you, you've gone through a pretty interesting story. Uh, your mom and dad are not here. They had a prior engagement at their church today, as did your pastor, and couldn't be here. Uh, but your parents, uh, you have talked at length about how much you love them and appreciate them. And uh, you and they had kind of a disagreement. You might be able to say that, right, the last several years. And um, a year and a half ago, uh, you were engaged to be married, and they were not that happy about it. And they'd already told you they weren't even going to come to the wedding. And um, so where were you, what, what city, what state, and what were you, what was your job uh, a year and a half ago? Because now you're here in Ohio, and, but you weren't a year and a half ago. Mm-mm. No, I was in Oregon, the state of Oregon in Portland, and I was a high school biology teacher. And I was really excited about planning my wedding, and I was really, really crushed that my parents weren't going to come. I was really crushed, and my dad wouldn't walk me down the aisle. Brought some tissues with you, right? Get them ready. All right. Who wants to hear that? That your own dad won't walk you down the aisle at your own wedding. And, of course, there's, uh, there's more to the story uh, in Sarah's life. Because uh, during her college years, uh, she, she had acted out on thoughts she had been having really for years before that. And it culminated uh, with a decision in college. And then uh, you fast forward to where she's at a year and a half ago. Tell us about that part of your life and why your parents were so distraught. Um, I had always felt different even as a young person, as young people do. And uh, I had an experience when I was small, and really, whenever you have some hurt or something that you don't quite understand and you don't talk about it, because I definitely didn't tell my parents about it, um, Satan will plant seeds, and he planted a seed in me when I was very young. And from that, I always felt different. Um, I didn't feel like I could identify with people the way that others did. Um, And when I got to college, outside of the protection of my small town where everyone knows what you do, And outside of my parents' house, I was able to do what I wanted. And so um, I met a person that had a similar hurt as I did. And we became friends. And after uh, not too much time, we became more than friends. And then after I graduated, uh, we both moved to Virginia and lived there for a few years. And then we decided that Portland, Oregon was the place to be. So we moved out there. Um, and after a small amount of time, we broke up, but I loved it out there. The Pacific Northwest is beautiful, so I decided to stay. So I continued teaching, and then through the wonders of Craigslist, I met someone else. Um, we dated for a period of time, um, and I decided this is the one. This is the one I want to marry, and I was so excited about it. Um, we bought a house. It was great, and I was so thrilled, but my parents weren't. And as much as I tried to seek for them to be on board, they couldn't because the person that I was going to marry was a female, and they could not come to grasp with that, and I didn't understand why. I tried to convince them and the rest of my family uh, pretty much every chance I had. But it wasn't working, and uh, it kind of made you upset. That's an understatement to say that she uh, was angry and hurt and confused about all of that. And uh, Sarah uh, is like so many people uh, you, you read the headlines about, but you don't know the story behind. 
All right, so uh, Sarah has mentioned she and her partner both uh, had hurts earlier in their life, and very often that's, that's what leads to uh, this experimentation and this open door for the enemy to lead someone astray. It was a hurt, and not enough attention is given to that. And that's why uh, when we hear uh, about what people want, what they desire, it's because it comes from a place of hurt uh, in, in the beginning, that there's this hole that the only God can fill. And so, Sarah, if I could be so bold, you weren't just any uh, person struggling with a lifestyle like this. You were, in some ways, leading the parade. Uh, by that, you, you weren't just sitting on the fence. You were well-educated. Uh, you were involved. You were kind of an activist. What were some of the things that you were doing? The student version of a uh, LGBT chapter for at a school, I was the advisor so I was helping students that were either thought they were gay or questioning that they were gay. Um, I was their advisor, so I would help them through it. They would ask questions. Um, I had a heart for that because the suicide rate among uh, gay kids is astronomical when you compare it to the rest of the population. So I was all about it. Um, but there was still something that didn't sit well with me, even if I wouldn't say that to my parents or my family. So um, every year there's a pride parade. And every year, there were several churches that would march through the parade as part of it, not boycotting it, as part of the parade. And then they would have booths, and they'd have materials. And every year, I'd pick up materials for these places, but I never once attended. And I think that that is probably a really good thing, because on my own, I was already um, just really seeking out things that it wasn't going to be biblical. And I can see that now, but at the time... I mean, I was even watching documentaries about alternate translations of those verses in the Bible that we all know that condemn homosexuality. There are lots of people who are ordained ministers that will take those verses and translate them and interpret them in a way that is embracing of the gay lifestyle. And so I was seeking those out because I didn't want to be condemned. Um, I had a foundation in church, and I didn't want to just throw that away, and there was a void there. And so I was doing my best to try to make these two worlds come together in a way that was okay and to have my parents see that it's okay. You can come to my wedding. I know that you're not giving me your stamp of approval, but you're my family, and I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be standing there by myself and have no one there to support me. So let's talk for a second about mom and dad. By the way, you are doing phenomenal. <laughs> she has never done anything like this. Can you encourage her for how she's doing so far? <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> so where's your tissues at? This is the part that gets me. <laughs> Her mom and dad. What would you do? And I'm not so naive to think that some of you are not walking through this as we speak. And our hearts go out to you. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a niece or a nephew. Maybe it's a relative that's dear to your heart. Maybe a, a, a friend. I want you to be so encouraged by what Sarah is being brave enough to share with us today. But she had a mom and dad. If you go to family camp, Ohio's Great Family Adventure, it's just an awesome event. Shameless plug here. Bring your tents, your, your families. It is just the coolest thing at Heartland every July 4th summer. You'd recognize her parents, Dwayne and Marla. What I, I didn't know Sarah's story until just a few weeks ago. But what I knew about Dwayne and Marla, her mom and dad, is they're just people of prayer. Whenever there's an altar call at family camp, they're there and they're praying with people. I know some people. They led to the Lord at family camp because they pray about them. They keep asking me how they're doing. That's just 
That's just the kind of people that they are. But I did know they had a child that they were praying about. I just didn't know the issue until I heard Sarah's story a few weeks ago and met her at one of our churches. Incredible. People of prayer. They had come to the conclusion, Sarah, because you'd seen those documentaries, you knew how to talk to them to defend your position, they had come to the conclusion that uh, not only because their mind told them that, but they heard Sarah say, I don't want to talk to you anymore about that. So I've talked to her mom and dad. We're actually going to get them on video, by the way, get this whole story. The family has agreed with their pastor to go ahead and put this on video because it'll be encouragement to so many people around Ohio. Can't wait to get that out there. But mom and dad said, we realized, here's the point I'd like to drive home. We could no longer talk to our daughter about this issue, but that did not mean we could not talk to God, which is the far more important conversation. They were relentless in talking to God, relentless in interceding for their daughter, Sarah, bringing her before the Lord's throne day in and day out, just waiting for the opportunity And boy, did the opportunity come. About a year and a half ago, with a praying church lifting them up in prayer, with mom and dad out there to visit in Oregon. And by the way, Sarah lived in the state of Washington where it was legal to have a marriage like that and just worked across the state, across the line in the state of Oregon where she held her job. So mom and dad are out there not to attend the wedding, but just to say, we love you. We don't know what else to say. You'll let us say we love you. So that's what they wanted to say. And one night while they were there, they were in another room in your apartment. Several prayer requests. uh, It seemed like it must have been God's right timing to do a couple of miraculous things. Uh, A little bit of it's kind of scary. Um, So, Sarah, tell us what happened when they were at your apartment. That day, um, it was a Friday, um, which is next Sunday. It's going to be two years ago. We, they were sitting down on my couch, and I made them watch that documentary that I mentioned earlier about how you can interpret the Bible a different way, and they were very patient and listened to it and didn't really say much. And um, I said, what, what do you think about all this? You know, and they wouldn't really say much. And my mom said this, and she said, you, need to, you should ask Jesus what he thinks. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. So then that night when they were in their, uh, the guest room of our house, they were in there and I went to my own bedroom and it shares an adjacent wall. So I sit down on my bed and I have my laptop there and I'm deciding what show I'm going to watch since I can't watch the shows I want to watch because they're there and I don't want to offend them. So I sit down, I'm sitting cross-legged on my bed and I'm like, you know what, Lord, If, if you're really there, then have at it. You know, who are you? What's going on? And God didn't speak. And I sat there and I waited, not very long, because I'm not very patient. And so I sat there and waited and nothing happened. And so then I said, you know, God, I don't think that you even exist. And as soon as that came out of my mouth, there was a demon that appeared in my room. And I have no doubt that it was there the whole time. And I just wasn't able to see it. My spiritual eyes were quite closed. And so there it was, and it was very red and large. And it looked at me, and it just laughed at me. It laughed and laughed and laughed. It never spoke. The whole time through all this, it never spoke. And you can imagine, that scared me quite a lot. And I started screaming bloody murder. 
Like, I was screaming my head off. And I was like, Lord, come save me. Nothing would happen. And the more afraid I got, the demon, there was like a red light around it. That light just expanded and expanded until the whole ceiling of my bedroom was red. So the more I was calling out to God, nothing was happening. And I felt a pressure in my chest where I believed that demon was trying to enter me. And my voice started to drop octaves. It got much lower. And at that point, I was done. I was so scared. I jumped off my bed, and I laid flat, face down on the floor, and I was just like, God, save me. When I got, and honestly, I have no idea how long I was down there. When I got up, the demon was gone. So I got up and left my room. And as I left my room, I had two dogs, and they were both sound asleep. And if you have dogs, you know if you're screaming your head off, they're going to come and bark and be crazy. They were sleeping dead to the world. So I walk over to my parents' room, and I go in there, and now in hindsight, I am so amazed at how strong they are because the Holy Spirit told them to stay put. They heard me screaming that whole time, and the Holy Spirit said, she has to come to you. So they stayed there, which boggles my mind. So I go in there, and I start talking to them. They start praying for me. And God starts to speak to me very audibly in my head. And at one point, and during this, I'm mad. I'm screaming at God, you're ruining my life. Why are you doing this to me? I'm not happy. I'm getting ready to be married. Um, We're already making plans of having kids after we get married. Like, my life is planned out. I'm a homeowner. Like, I'm ready to go. So I'm like, God, why are you doing this to me? I was so mad. And there was a red light and a white light that appeared on the ceiling above me. And God impressed me that if you continue on the path that you're on, you're choosing that red light. And that leads to death. And the white light is me. And you have to leave all that behind. And that's choosing life. And I was not happy with this either. While this is happening, my dad's praying for me in tongues. And my mom, and I don't think she even realized it, was interpreting what he was saying. And by the time I realized it, because I was way too busy screaming at God, she said, like, two more words, and I had no idea what she said. And I looked at her, I'm like, what did you say? And she's like, I don't know. And she cried, because she wanted to help me. She's my mom. And so I'm just continuing yelling at God. And I saw a white light in, like, a corner of a room. And the white light traveled across the uh, room, across two walls, and then it stopped right in front of me. And it left the wall, and it came, and it hit me in the chest in the exact same spot that I felt the pressure from the demon before, and it knocked me backwards. So it's like God telling me, this is real, this is really happening, because I'm a science person, so I'm very skeptical, and I need evidence, and getting knocked down by a light makes no sense. So, you know. So while this is going on, my mom starts speaking in tongues. My mom has never spoken in tongues in her life. She had prayed for it for years and years. Her church was praying for it. She'd gone to the altar many times to receive spirit baptism. Never happened. I don't think she even realized it at that moment that she was speaking in tongues. So that was a huge blessing for her as well. So at that point, um, I hadn't accepted God. I didn't say, Lord Jesus, I love you come into my heart. There was none of that yet. I was just mad. Um, God started speaking to me, and he told me to write it down. So I started writing things down, 
And one of the things he told me was that I was going to be in Panama. And he told me that four times. And you know when God speaks to you, if you're a good listener, he only has to tell you once. (laughs) I'm not a good listener. So he told me four times. Do you want me to keep going? That's great, yep. Okay. So at this point, I know that I can't continue down the path that I have been on. I know I'm not saying that I was going to, you know, jump into a church, but I knew that I, I couldn't continue in that way. So at this point, I had to text my former partner and say, things, you need to come home. There's stuff going on. So when she came back, I cried, and she cried, and she was very angry, and I felt terrible because I, in my mind, I was ruining both of our lives. And so she's very, very angry. Um, she doesn't go to bed that night. She doesn't go to sleep. She lays down, but she never sleeps. She doesn't even take her shoes off. Um, the next day, I'm still struggling with this. Um, God gave me some tasks to do, and I did them very unwillingly, but I did them. Um, and then that night, it was about 1030, and my former partner still had never gone to sleep. And I'm like, you need to go to bed. And she's just mad. She's like, I don't want to. I'm like, why not? And she's like, I'm afraid. She was afraid that demon was going to come back. And so I said, can I pray with you? And she's like, sure, that's cool. Why don't you pray for me then? Like very biting, very angry. So we sat down, and I started to pray for her. And I said, God, how, how do I even know this is all real? And she snapped her head around and looked at me and said, because I'm telling you. And then she went like this. At that moment, it became as real to her as it had been to me. And that is such a blessing for me because I didn't have to carry the guilt and shame that my friend was going to choose death. In that moment, God gave her the exact evidence she needed, just as he gave me the exact evidence that I needed to come to Christ. So at that moment, she, she was toast. God became real to her. And uh, we sat down, and uh, we prayed. I took her back to my parents, who were in the, the guest room again, took her over there, and they prayed for us. And I'm telling you, God knew that there was no way that I could have done this on my own. I needed my mom and dad. I needed their prayers before I knew that they were praying for me and fasting for me, and I needed them in that moment because I didn't know what to do. So we took her in, prayed with her. Um, so that was a Saturday night. On Sunday night, or Sunday, we attended a church with my parents. We just a random one. We just we didn't know any churches in the area. Uh, on that Monday, a lady came jogging by and had a door hanger for a brand new church that was a church plant opening on Easter Sunday. And on that thing, on their uh, door hanger, it said. Tired of religion, so are we. And I'm like, I haven't even got into religion, and I already know I'm tired of it. (laughs) So we went to that church on Easter Sunday, and it was held in a hotel conference room. And over time, it became a real church and a real building that ends up being a storefront. And that's where I continued going to church for the next uh, about year and a half. 
And so today, you are back home uh, with your parents in this great church, uh, Newcomerstown Victory, and your friend, your former partner, uh, is she still serving the Lord? Yes, she is. She's actually married now to a man, and they are living in our old house. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Newcomerstown Victory Assembly of God. Uh, do they do coffee there? I'm not sure if they do or not. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not picking on that. I'm just using some examples. I was at one of our church plants recently, and I thought I was. You know, it was very pitch black. I walked in. You can't. Where? Where is the seat? Where, what are you guys doing? I can't even see. The, there it is. Okay, the lights are so low, you know. And that pastor took everybody, including me, to school, talked about Babylon and Assyria, and it was, it was Old Testament. It was awesome. Our church plants are just tearing up, and they're doing a great job. We could not be more proud of them. But the, while they have a ton of disadvantages, every building, every meeting they think about, how are we going to pay for it? How are we going to get it? Because we don't own it, and uh, they got to set up and tear. They have a ton of disadvantages uh, from that perspective. But the advantages for church plants is there's no rules, right? There's no traditions. We don't have any yet. We have, we're not around yet. And so folks like Sarah can feel very much at ease when they walk into a culture like that. Newcomerstown Victory Assembly of God is doing a great job, actually a phenomenal job. But there's a lot of trappings uh, uh, aesthetically and visually that might not be there, that might be at some of our other churches like that. But what they have is a group of people at that church from their pastor on down who believe that the Holy Spirit is about the most relevant, cool thing any church can tap into. And that is true no matter what your building is like or is not like. It's true no matter what your checking account says. It's true no matter what your board structure is. The Holy Spirit is the most relevant. It is the most timely. It always will be the most timely influence, not just in the assemblies of God, but around the globe because it's the Spirit that's moving uh, through and all over the earth. And the Holy Spirit knows right now what every single heart needs. And so here's a mom and a dad who said, you know what? We see what we see with our eyes. And how can you put into words what it's like to have a a daughter that you love and that you would give your life for, and the daughter has said, we can't have that conversation anymore. We just can't. What do you do when you're mom and dad? Do you give up? Or do you say, you know what? Until the day I die, I'm going to stay on my knees. I'm going to believe in the power of prayer. And I'm going to choose to believe that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against principalities. That's where the battle is. I'm going to choose to believe that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but that they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so a church and a mom and dad and now a family are rejoicing because through it all, they chose to value and to hold on with the eternal things and had to let go of some of the things that maybe they were used to. Let me wrap up here with another illustration before I do that. Can you put your hands together one more time for Sarah Maurer? God bless you, Sarah. Thank you so much.
I think you know this, but there are Sarahs walking through the halls today. There are pastors and other ministry leaders, men and women, who have a similar story. Theirs is unique, but they've walked through it. That story is not getting told like it needs to get told. Pastors and churches are having to say words that used to not have to come out of our mouths. But they have to come out of our mouths now. We have to learn to not, uh, not to be bashful about telling this story because Jesus Christ is winning. Jesus Christ is always going to be winning. So, I want to send you home. You've been a great audience. Let me give you two illustrations that go together that I think I know from, from my prayers and my heart for Ohio. Uh, I, just, I just am believing that there's going to be one story like Sarah's after another. There already are. Is your church ready for stories like this? Because, you see, there had to be a storefront church plant church or this thing doesn't happen. I believe in mom and dad's prayers, but you all know it's a continual process, right? Some of us are going to plant, some of us are going to water, and some of us are going to get to reap the harvest. Could Sarah and her partner together, could they have walked into your church? And some of you, quite frankly, the answer is yes, we're ready. We've already got people in place. We've talked about this. We have a plan. Do you realize Assemblies of God churches in California already are undergoing multi-million dollar renovations because of the transgender issues, and now they're, they're installing only single-user bathrooms throughout their church. No, no more group situations. That's, that's the only way they can handle it because it's so aggressive out there. But I love that. I mean, I hate the fact that you have to spend all that money on a, on a, a restroom, for crying out loud, but are we going to let the enemy say that this, these are the new rules, and so therefore you've got to shut down the gospel? No. If that's all you got... Are you kidding? we got ways around that. Whatever it takes to get the gospel into hurting hearts, that's what our church is going to be about. Which comes to that long goodbye. Let me share two illustrations for you. They go hand in hand. One is just an imaginary chart. Imagine today if I had a chart that went from wall to wall, and I've shared this in some of our churches before. It just means so much to me personally. Imagine this chart went from floor to ceiling. And on this chart, there was a label at the top, and it said, has tasted and seen. Tasted and seen that God is good. And on this chart, there was a little dot for every beating heart that has ever walked the planet. Christian or non-Christian. Man, woman, boy, girl, every ethnic, every tribe under nation. Not only those that are around today, but those that have been alive through the centuries. And there were billions of these dots for all of those, those hearts. And this was a percentile chart. And the closer you got to here, it was the 90 percentile, the 95 and the 99 percentile. You know what that is when your kids get those tests in the mail and, whoops, we got to pick up our game. It comes to math. We're, we're not batting 1,000, aren't we, on this one, all right? Where would your dot be? And where, I'll tell you where my dot would be. On this tasted and seen chart, I would be at 99%. Not because of anything I've done but because I've grown up with these wonderful churches here in Ohio. I happen to be blessed enough to have a mom and a dad 
who raised their kids in fear and admonition of the Lord. I've got countless Sunday school teachers. I could call out their name and great pastors. And, and that's just my upbringing. And then let alone the, the answered prayers and the blessings of a wife and kids. And God is so good in the ministry and he healed me from cancer. All these prayers have been answered. Are you kidding? I have worshiped to some of the most moving songs that have ever been written. The really good ones in the 70s and 80s. Those are mine, right? Come on. I have tapped my toes to some of the best, best music. And those beats, oh, it's been awesome. Been to some great concerts. And I don't even want to tell you all the sermons I've heard. Am I responsible for all the sermons I've heard? Lord, help me. I've heard some of the best. I have. And my story is your story. And so all of us, we're compared to the rest of all these beating hearts. Are you kidding me? People who only knew the Lord for, for 20 years. People who only knew the Lord for 10 years. People by the billions who've never heard. Tasted and seen that God is good? Absolutely. Praise the Lord and thank God for that. Absolutely. 48 years, that's all I've known. All I have known. God's goodness and the goodness of his people. Mm. Now let me bring this other illustration in. This is real world. This is from my wife, Bridget, uh, who works at Heartland. And uh, many of you see her out there working with the food services team. Carl is here today. And uh, he might remember this story, but this goes years back. And this is not about an Assemblies of God group. This is not about an Assemblies of God group. There was a group of people who came to eat that day, and they were all men. And they were hungry, and they came hungry. And I believe, as the story goes, it was breakfast time. And it's a buffet, as they often do at Heartland, for church groups. For some reason, churches are into buffets. All you can eat. And this particular group was all men, and there were some men who came to do damage to Heartland's kitchen. They wanted to eat. Have you been on a cruise before? Some of you been on a cruise? I've been on one. What an eye-opener. There are people who go on cruises simply to eat, because you can do it 24-7. And the buffet closes for lunch, and they're right there, turn around for supper, two minutes later, ready to eat. This is who came to Heartland that week, and they wanted to eat. There were some men in that group who were so obese, it was medical, they they weren't 65 and 75, they were young men, and they were already bent over on canes because their legs could not support their weight. Uh, Okay, and sometimes that's medical, but for these guys, it was clearly they wanted to eat. They had two and three servings of food on the first time through, their plates were piled high, and it was a buffet. You, you can come back. There's more. But this was, Carl, do you remember this? You do, okay. You, okay, all right, shh, all right, shh, all right. So they came through, and here's the part of, you know, wow. But what happened was some of the folks who had come through once weren't even finished And they came back to the buffet a second time. They already had servings two, three, and four on the first plate. And they came back for more. And there were some men from the group who hadn't even come through the first time yet. And they cut in line. And they got ahead of those men, and there was actually a physical altercation. They were yelling at each other and getting their elbows out and saying, back off. 
And so I think in so many words, the, the smaller, more frail people in the group just had to back off and say, okay, okay. While the others helped themselves to servings five, six, and seven before any had even had one. It, Bridget came home and most days she's talking about, oh, what happened, this and this, and she was just traumatized. She couldn't talk. She couldn't talk. She said, I can't tell you. And then finally, hours later, she told me what they saw. I mean, the staff was just, what is going on? They'd never seen anything like that. Now let me bring in that first slide. Tasted and seen buffet. I know that buffet. I've been through a couple times. It's been really good. And I know that there are still millions around the world, but I know that there's millions here in Ohio, and there's thousands in my community who haven't been through the buffet one time. Oh, but God forgive me. Somehow I still find a way. I don't mean to do it. I don't even know what I'm doing when I do it. But because of my preferences of how I think this buffet is supposed to work, and I like, I know what I like. I do. I like my music a certain way. I do. I like my sermons that I hear to be just a certain way. And I like a church to have this value and, and to have this expression. I like those things. And in my preferences, am I, in effect, going back to that buffet and saying, hey, back off. I know what I'm doing around here. I've been here a couple before. Just, just watch me. And you might have to wait a little bit, but I'm going to get what Daddy came to get. You better believe that. When, in reality, if I were to back off from the buffet and say, you know what? My dot is already at 99 percentile. This won't happen, but, it could, but just in theory, if I were to go the rest of another 48 years on this planet and never hear one more song that I like, never go to one more church service that really is my cup of tea, never see one more church budget that's spending the money the way I think it ought to be spent, If I never have one more prayer answered, if I never get a Holy Ghost chill down my spine one more time, my dot isn't moving. I've already experienced too much of God's goodness. Just on a percentile basis, I can't move backwards because I have already experienced so much of God's love and God's goodness on this planet. Statistically impossible for my dot to move compared to the rest of the planet and compared to so many hurting people right there in my own town. But watch what could happen. If I were to choose to step back from that buffet, say, I'll go ahead. You you know who I've already been. You go ahead. They're going to put what on there? Oh, I don't like that. No one's going to like that. Oh, I guess some people do. (laughs) Not for me. Well, whatever. Go ahead. What, they need help in the kitchen? Oh, okay. You, you want me to cook some of that? You need somebody to do the dishes? Well, I never thought about that before, but okay. My dot's not moving. Yeah, I'm still at 99%. I'm still good. I'll go, I'll go help. And then I get to see that more and more people start coming through. And there's new faces. 
And boy, they're smiling because they're liking, they're liking what they're seeing here with the people of God. I, I'm going to start to get energized a little bit. Wow, things are happening around here. We haven't seen this kind of activity in quite a while. It looks different. It smells different, that's for sure. Wow, yeah, I, that wouldn't have been my first choice, but who can argue? You know what? This is actually kind of fun. I, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I'm having more fun now helping people get through the line than when I was going through the line myself. I didn't think that was possible. But man, sign me up. I'm loving this. This, this is better. This is better than getting the food myself. I can hardly believe it. And here's the part. It just it never ceases to amaze me. If that were to happen, that God of ours, not only is he going to help all these dots get closer and see the goodness of God, which is phenomenal and what it's all about, but God is so good that even though you maybe not, might not be able to see it, he'll find a way to move your dot to 99.1 because you cannot help but experience more of the goodness of God and get more excited and more fired up than when you are seeing other people come to know Jesus left and right. It is contagious. Well, I'm going to guess I'm preaching to the choir today. But in case I'm not, consider Sarah's story. There had to be a church that said, you know what? I've had enough of the buffet, and it's time for me to roll up my sleeves, and we're going to serve some different food. It's going to look different. We're not changing the core. We're going to still serve nutritious stuff. It might even be more nutritious than what we've been serving. That's not the issue. We're not abandoning Scripture. We're not abandoning the call. But what we're going to do is realize time is short. And so if i got to step back and let other people come through, if that's what it takes, then you can sign me up. And maybe your leaders are here and you are it, but you know there's still some strongholds back home. With all the love and the grace you can, would you share this story today? Would you share Sarah's story? Would you affirm so many things about what has been done right at that church, but at the same time, would you not stop there? Would you, would you pray through? Would you ask the Holy Spirit to, to enlighten hearts so that you can have more of the Spirit than you ever dreamed possible? And in exchange for that long goodbye that's been a really good friend to a lot of us, we can say an eternal hello to friends like Sarah, to the friends that Sarah is going to bring into the kingdom, and to a new way of doing church, a new way of serving God that will give us far greater joy than some of the things we thought were all that important for so long.